The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris, and I am rocking it solo today as we get towards the end of the week. Just one more show after today. As I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, our buddy Pedro Doreste. That'll be coming up first thing next week instead of today's show. At Dan Bespris on Twitter, if you'd like to give me a follow, that's the handle, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And of course, this podcast is a hoop ball. Hoop-ball.com is the website at Hoopball Fantasy Presentation. Show is also brought to you by our buddies at Hawaiian Isles, Kona Coffee Company, H.I. Kona Coffee on Twitter, HawaiianIsles.com. You know, it's a funny thing about the NBA, and then I'll, I have one more thing I want to talk about before we do the box scores. I think there may have been more things to talk about in the smallish Tuesday card than the nine-game Wednesday, but we did get some confirmation on stuff, and there's a few names that I want to focus in on a little bit more as we work our way through the results from last night. And then, of course, we'll prep you for a smaller, back to more traditional four-game Thursday this evening. And I think we'll be able to keep today's show in that 35 to 45-minute range. So we'll, uh, we'll give you back a few minutes of your day, even if you didn't want them. First things first on the show, I want to make mention once again that we are looking for blurbers. If you want to fill a blurb shift here at HoopBall, Hit me up again. You can do it on Twitter at Dan Bespers, or you can email this one as well. Team Hoopball at hoop-ball.com is the website for that. Team Hoopball, all one word, at hoop-ball.com is the domain name. What's a blurber, you ask? Well, it's the folks behind the scenes here at Hoopball working the wire, making sure that our Twitter feed and our news feed at the website are up to date with everything that comes across. It's a magical way for you to get very good at fantasy very fast. You learn how to read every piece of news, and you learn how to interpret them with our buddies Pedro, we talked about, Mike Pasador, who's been on the show once or twice in our uh, brief history here at Fantasy NBA Today, and is also our lead editor on the written side over at HoopBall. So it's a great opportunity to train up on fantasy writing. You grow into an article a week as well. Uh, unpaid spots. These are contributor roles at HoopBall, but they are really training spots, and we get you fixed up to be a fantasy analyst. So bug me if you want to be a part of that. That's what we're looking for right now. And with that, we dive into some Wednesday results. Washington, blown out in Orlando. I said on yesterday's podcast that I thought that Magic by 10 line reeked of this is going to be a blowout kind of game because the Wizards were actually getting some positive coverage coming into this basketball game. They had won a couple of uh, ball games earlier in the week that arguably they should not have won. (laughs) Uh, Looking back at their schedule, remember they beat Boston, they beat Denver back-to-back. They were playing relatively competitive basketball intermittently with this kind of zombie squad, and then they went into Orlando and just got smoked. And to the Magic's credit, they've actually been playing pretty well since Jonathan Isaac went down. I don't... The correlation is this. One... They're playing harder since Isaac went down. And two, we're finally getting what appears to be a relatively healthy Nick Vucevic. And I I mean, it's taken almost all season to get to this point, but he's looked really, really good over about the last six or seven ball games. Remember, there's that 
he had a 24 rebound game mixed in there. But something, I don't want to say that it clicked because his field goal percent still isn't that impressive over that stretch. But suddenly he's scoring 20 plus points a game and he's getting his 10 rebounds and he's getting his three assists. And things are just starting to come together a little bit. He's number 16 overall on the season, 15 over the last month, and 10 over the last two weeks. And that's what we're talking about with Vooch. With actual upside beyond that, the reason he's gotten so high is that he's hitting two and a half threes a game. Even if that number comes down, field goal percent, free throw percent still actually have room to go up for Vooch. So you likely missed your opportunity to buy on him when he was sitting back down in the 30-something range. And if you got him or have him, just enjoy it because the Magic feel pretty good about themselves right now. They're they're basically locked into either the 7 or 8 speed. Brooklyn's falling apart, so right now it's the 7, and uh, they're winning. Also of note with this game is Kem Birch logging 29 minutes, although it's been inconsistent and that's probably the nicest word I can use to describe kind of how things have gone in the Jonathan Isaac replacement sweepstakes. Birch played 11 and 15 minutes in his previous two games before getting this big 29-point outburst, or 29-minute outburst, excuse me. 11 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 steals, and a block. If he's on the floor for 30 minutes, he has a chance to get into that 10-rebound, couple of steals, one block territory. Remember, when Vooch was out from late November until the middle of December, Birch was the guy largely picking up those minutes, and his rebound numbers were actually pretty decent in there. He, he had some boards, he had some steals. There isn't much in the way of upside beyond that, however, so for now, just put him on the watch list and don't do anything else. For Washington, before this ball game, we heard Bradley Beal was actually going through shoot-around. He was ruled out relatively late, I think about a half an hour before the ball game started. So I thought, well, why the hell not? Let's use Jordan McRae again, and then he wasn't very good. Instead, in this one, Admiral Schofield was actually the guy who popped off. I still can't pronounce uh, the, their backup center's name. He, uh, Pasnich? I don't know. 35 minutes off the bench. In, in blowout situation. As it continues to be, Troy Brown Jr. is the only wizard right now that is good on every night. Ish Smith had been running hot, but we said multiple times on the show that he had a negative regression coming. His fantasy game just is not, it doesn't translate particularly well. I, I mean, he scored 32 and 27 in back-to-back games. That just wasn't going to stick with Ish. He'll get you some steals He'll get you some assists, but there's these big holes in his game. He's not a good foul shooter. His field goal percent is up this year, but I don't know if even that's going to hold. So I'm not in on the Ish Smith thing. I'm out on Isaiah Thomas because Ish is outplaying him regularly, and those two guys are splitting the point guard minutes because they're tiny and they can't play them together. So you're stuck in this spot where you could either stream Jordan McRae and hope that you get the performance most games, meaning if they're competitive He's probably going to be a decent option on that night. But if Bradley Beal magically comes back, I think I try to frantically get him onto my bench. Or you could just play Troy Brown Jr., kind of call it a day, so to speak, and say, you know what, I'm just going to wait until the regulars come back and I'll deal with everything from there. Because Troy Brown's been very good, particularly lately with the whole team hurt. Uh, 
over, but prior to that, he was sitting more towards the edge of the top 100. Last couple of weeks, he's been a little bit better than that with with slightly higher volume. Uh, but mostly, this Wizards team is is a in a bleep show. You know what I'm talking about here. Bradley Beal, hopefully back very soon. I'm not going to put the panic button on him just yet, the way that I kind of am with Kyrie Irving and a little bit of panic with Carl Anthony Towns as well. I think Beal's coming back in the next week. Uh, Davis Bertans, we don't really know what's going on there, but both P and Thomas Bryant are considered to be making progress. And this discussion kind of brings me to uh, some terminology that I started using last season that perhaps deserves its kind of redux here in January. And that is the best risk pre-tank registered trademark. Yeah, you can put the little TM in parentheses next to it. It's not registered trademark. If you listen to the podcast last year, you know that I talked about a few teams that basically benched their stars at the start of the year. Remember that last season? They basically just benched their guys at the beginning of the season because... They wanted to rack up losses earlier. We didn't see as much of that this season. Obviously, Atlanta had that sort of handed to them when John Collins was suspended. But you didn't really see teams say, you know what, we're just going to we're gonna come out of the gate ultra slow, and then we'll recalibrate things towards the middle of the season. The pre-tank. Teams want to fall ultra far behind, so then they can roll their rookies out late and kind of see what they got. And if you accidentally fall into a few wins, that's not the worst thing in the world. I think what you saw here with the Wizards may be something like that, where they figured we're going to lose a bunch of games regardless of who we trot out. And instead, they were kind of fun. They weren't terrible at home. They're 7-10 and 10 in D.C. right now, 12-25 and 25 overall. Very much not at all in the absolute bottom-most pack. The bottom-most pack is the Warriors because their whole team is dead, the Hawks because they've been awful, the Knicks, who've been playing a tiny bit better lately, and the Cavaliers. They're in that bottom quartet. And then the Wizards, as somehow, ended up one half click above that with, like, the Bulls and the Pistons and the Hornets and the Wolves, if you're looking at the, the Western Conference. Although, I, I struggle to put the Pelicans in there because they're 7-3 and three in their last 10 ball games, And now it even looks like the Suns might be down there as well. Although from a talent standpoint, you absolutely, absolutely say Phoenix is a better team there. So I think maybe the Wizards were a tiny bit better than they wanted to be. So you had all these little lingering things. They thought, ah, whatever, you know what, maybe these guys could play through it, but what's the point? So Davis Bertans, you rest. Thomas Bryant, you rest. Bradley Beal, you rest. Mo Wagner, I don't even know what happened with you. You sprained your ankle, and then you just disappeared, and now nobody's giving any updates. And I have a rant on injury reporting that could take up an entire show, but I'm trying to keep today's podcast a little bit more brief, so we'll save it. Suffice it to say, someone freaking find out what's going on with these people this year. You have one of the best players in the league in Carl Anthony Towns who's just out, questionable, for four weeks in a row. Figure it out. Make Minnesota tell somebody what's going on. It's not right. It's not right for fans. Forget the fantasy side for a minute. Forget the fact that we need to figure out if we're starting these guys in fantasy. They don't give a crap about us. What about the people that are spending money? What about Timberwolves fans in particular that are just like, tonight's the night, I'm going to go to a game, get my family an opportunity to go see Shabazz Napier? That's not what you wanted. 
Tell us. If Cat's going to be out for two more weeks, tell somebody. It's BS. They're milking people. They're basically trying to trick people into showing up in the hopes that maybe that's the night that Cat plays. Anyway. I could argue Brooklyn's doing the same thing, although at least they just basically have ruled Kyrie Irving out a couple days in advance. But come on, any kind of timeline. A month, two months, six weeks, three weeks. I don't care what you say. Just say something. Even a reevaluation keeps the indefinite tag on, but at least we know nothing's happening for X number of days. So I think that may be actually a little bit what's happening in Washington right now. They're just sort of... They're, they're trying to pile up a few L's here, and then a lot of these guys, I think, are coming back. And they're probably going to try to trade Davis Pertans, as they should, because he's white hot, and this is when you can get the most for him. I have so much beef with the injury stuff. I'm sure you guys do as well. Anyway, Miami blew out Indiana. Jimmy Butler and TJ Warren got into it in, in one of the awesome non-fights of the century. Verbal jawing. I mean, go look it up. Uh, you can find it on Twitter very easily or Google very easily. Just Google Jimmy Butler, TJ Warren, and watch some of the videos. Watch Jimmy's post game. Jimmy's post game. By the way, every time I talk about Jimmy Butler, I think about that Seinfeld episode where Jimmy is the guy who speaks in the third person. In Butler's post game, he said, and I quote, if I were his coach, referring to TJ Warren, I would never put him on me ever again. I'm going to tear his bleep up every time he is trash. This is amazing. This is, I love it so much. Jimmy Butler is just like going team to team and breaking people. And I'm sure his Heat, his heat teammates love it also because they beat the hell out of Indiana. Butler took six shots in this game and went for 14, six and seven with two steals. The whole team just was incredibly dynamic. Indiana's terrible without Malcolm Brogdon. But we at least did find out Victor Oladipo dropped the news yesterday that he'd be back on the 29th is when he'll be making his season debut, or at least that's his target date. And that is now officially less than three weeks away. So if you held, you're almost there. Suffice it to say, though, they just need someone that can orchestrate the offense, and it's not Aaron Holiday, who remains a fine streaming option, but just frankly isn't that good. Demonis Sabonis survived this ugly loss. Nobody else really did, although at least our guy Miles Turner had a couple of blocks and a steal and a three-pointer, so it got you the, the four money-counting stats. TJ Warren got ejected in that little scrum with Jimmy Butler. He had a rough one, but he'll bounce back just fine. And then for Miami, you had the return of Justice Winslow, who they're easing back in. He played 15 minutes uh, and had two rebounds, a steal, and a block. Basically, as this team gets healthy, you run into the same stuff we've talked about in seasons past, where it really thins the herd. On this particular night, Derek Jones Jr. was very good again. He had 18 and 7, two steals, two blocks, and two three-pointers, which generally you can't count on with him. He's been a fantastic streaming option. While Justice Winslow's been out, his minutes have been exceptionally high, and he's piled up the steals and the blocks, and he's top 90 over the last month. But you have to wonder if those 31 minutes per game are going to come back down towards 22, 23. It's not super obvious where else Winslow's minutes are going to come from. Last time he came back, and it was a while, but I remember it pretty clearly because I was watching Miami to see who was going to lose the playing time, and it was Derek Jones Jr. And it was a little bit Tyler Hero and a little bit Goran Dragic and a little bit Kendrick Nunn. 
Duncan Robinson actually kept his minutes pretty high the last time Winslow came back. They love his floor spacing. He was firing three balls, particularly early in last night's game. So I think you can probably keep the same valuations. The only thing I would say is put a little fear on Derek Jones that maybe he slides back behind the cut line as Winslow gets settled in. I can't believe how how very few leagues I'm in. People picked up and streamed Derek Jones Jr. He's been great. He's averaging one and a half steals and a block over a month. That's great. Two and a half combined defensive stats over a full month on 49% shooting from the field. He has a three-pointer in that stretch, too. So anyway, keep an eye on him. I might bench him just to see what happens over the next week. Maybe he holds his minutes. Maybe they come from someplace else, but I don't I don't know where else they're coming from, really, other than some of those other names I threw out there. But Jones is the one who's playing the same position. Toronto beat Charlotte in a close one, and the Raptors are going to have to try to grab as many of these tight ones against not-great teams as they can while they wait out their entire roster. Terrence Davis got hot. I thought he was going to play well in the previous game, and he did nothing. But he played much better in this one, and I, I'll tell you right now, I do not have the stones to trot him out there on a nightly basis. I just don't have the stones. I, I know that I mentioned him as a possible streaming option when Freddie Van Fleet was ruled out medium term, but, I mean, he played eight minutes against Portland. I know that last night's game was stellar, but can you do you have the confidence to say that it's going to be 37 minutes every na- night? No, I don't. It could be eight, as we saw the previous game. There's going to be a lot of matchup stuff going on with Toronto. And in this one, they like Terrence Davis because Charlotte has a particularly small backcourt. So they could go basically two guard, two point guardy with Kyle Lowry, who's also not a big guy, tough guy, obviously. Nice to see OGN and Nobi get back in the mix. Took 13 shots in this game. That's a good sign. 19.7 boards, a steal, and three three pointers. That bought him a little bit more time. Even Patrick McCaw double-doubled, but you're not picking him up. This is overtime, by the way. It should mention, as we talk about the minutes played, McCaw played 43 minutes this game. Kyle Lowry played 42. Ibaka, 39. I mean, the Raptors are asking for more trouble playing their guys this quantity of minutes, but they know they got to try to get these, these wins against the teams that they need to beat. Serge Ibaka, he'll just continue to chug along. He missed some free throws, which is a little bit of a pisser, but otherwise he did actually finally block uh, a pair of shots. Ibaka, Lowry, and Anobi are the guys that I'm still trusting on this team. Yes, even OG, I'm giving him the opportunity here. And then you can watch Terrence Davis and Patrick McCaw, but let's say Norman Powell comes back in 7 to 10 days. He could actually render them both useless as he soaks up a whole bunch of the available usage. You know who's not worth using? Everybody else. As I mentioned, I didn't think that was ever going to be a thing, and it never was. Charlotte's side. Miles Bridges finally had a big one. He's actually been playing a bit better since I said it was time to cut him. Of course it was, because guys bought him out, and then they start to rebound. He's still only number 151 on the season. So he's not quite around the corner yet. Although, you know, you could make the argument that over his last five games... He's actually been significantly better. And over the last two weeks, he's inside the top 70 because both of his percentages have been very good. That's the biggest difference lately versus the entire season. A couple more rebounds per game. That's not irrelevant. 
But instead of shooting 45% and 80 at the free throw line, he's at 49% and 90 at the free throw line. The other stuff hasn't changed all that much. Especially with this giant game blended in with the other one. So if if we're throwing a party for Miles Bridges, we may be a tiny bit ahead of ourselves. I'm still not super into his what he's doing overall. Because the steals and blocks just haven't been there this year. Rozier, Graham, P.J. Washington, still the guys that I would trust ahead of Bridges on that Charlotte team. San Antonio, back-to-back blowout, back -back blowout wins over some of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, and the Spurs slowly solidifying themselves as the team to beat for the eight seed, although they are only a game up on the Grizz and the Blazers. But they do certainly look like the better team compared to those other clubs. Spurs are the only team fighting for the eight seed that has a winning record either at home or on the road which tells us how much they need to fix their road issues. But they're 11-9 and nine in San Antonio. They're 5-11 and 11 on the road. Grizzlies, Blazers, Kings, Wolves, Suns, Pels, Warriors have losing records at all venues. Blazers are the closest. They're 8-9 and nine at home. Everybody else has a losing record by at least two games under 500 everywhere, home or road. This is who's fighting for that eight spot. Thunder, 21-16. and 16. They're five games over. They're actually not that far out of the sixth seed right now. So they've moved up an echelon. So this is a weird ball game. Boston was playing drunk. Kemba Walker got ejected for, I believe, the first time in his career, if I remember reading that right. Someone in the crowd was upset about the Kemba Walker ejection and hucked a beer at the Spurs bench. He was arrested. It was an ugly one at the, at the, the what do they call it now, TD Ameritrade Garden? Soon to be the Schwab Garden, since I'm pretty sure TD Ameritrade got bought out. Schwab Garden. That might be a <laughs> like a name for a filthy bedroom act. Uh, the uh, the Schwab Garden was doing Schwab Gardeny things. Boston fans get a bad rap, and sometimes they really do deserve it. Gordon Hayward survived this one. 18-3-3, a steal block, and four three-pointers. Nobody else really did. Daniel Tice was okay, all those minutes weren't there. Ennis Cantor didn't get to play that many minutes. I mean, overall, they just... You saw Brad Stevens. He went to everybody in this game. They played the whole damn bench, and it wasn't just at the very end where they were getting blown out in late in the fourth. There was a moment in the second quarter where they just were sort of playing drunk, and so he threw Taco Fall into the game, who, by the way, isn't even close to NBA ready. Not even close, just standing in the wrong place on almost every single play. But they just were trying to do something to wake the place up. It didn't work, needless to say. The Spurs got contributions from everybody, which kind of depressed almost everybody's lines except for DeMar DeRozan. But DeMar was, uh, was solid. Bryn Forbes had a good line. Derek White had a decent line in his 20 minutes. Lonnie Walker was great in 19 minutes. DeJounte Murray was solid in 28 minutes. Trey Lyles was fine in 18. LaMarcus was okay in 32. Even Patty Mills was fine. I mean, they got stuff from basically everybody, which meant that nobody, aside from nod to DeMar for making all 10 of his free throws, nobody had a great line in this game. Too many decent lines. It's a weird problem to have, but for fantasy, we have it. Houston beat Atlanta by seven. This was our best bet, the, the Atlanta side, getting eight, and so they did just barely hang on and cover this ball game. I like to fade teams that have been resting for almost a week, and Houston was. 
And it was evident. James Harden shot 27% from the field in this game. After getting off to a rip-roaring start, he cooled off substantially. Also had eight turnovers. And, you know, it's hard to poke holes in a guy who had a 40-point triple-double with nine cash counters. But he had a field goal percent day for the ages. Trey Young had the far better 40-point triple-double in this game. And he only shot 37%. Clint Capella was fantastic, a 22-22-22 game. As the great Vin Scully would have said, deuces are wild. 22 points, 22 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 blocks. Made all 4 of his free throws. The line of the night, and for those that were saying, Dan Bespris, why are you so high on Clint Capella even though he is falling in drafts? Well, it's because he's number 20 overall uh, on the season in 9-cat. He's inside the second round again and trending up amazingly. P.J. Tucker, we told you he always comes out of these things. I told you guys, just put him on your bench for a couple of weeks. He always does this where he goes through a two-week stretch where he just sort of gets tired. And then they had a five-day layoff and he came back and grabbed 17 damn rebounds. Told you guys, don't bail on my guy P.J. This is without hitting a three-pointer, by the way. Two steals, a block, 17 boards, eight points for Tucker. He was great. Ben McLemore got hot off the bench with uh, 18 points on six three-pointers. That's all he does. When he gets hot, he's going to put up a good line, but generally he's not been worth owning. And honestly, I I think at this point, Houston's down to three in this game, and then four overall, obviously, when Russ, he'll play in tonight's ballgame at Oklahoma City. So uh, Daniel House is out for me. I know he played 36 minutes, which is a lot. In a This is a regulation game, so he only rested 11 and a half minutes. But he has no usage, no usage rate. And he doesn't do what P.J. Tucker does, which is go grab a, a boatload of rebounds to sort of float the value when he's not getting any shots to take. And with Aaron Gordon back, that's just going to make life harder because he's going to be out there chucking away too. Now, for Gordon, I know he scored 17 points with three threes. His percentages are terrible. He doesn't get steals. He doesn't rebound. He barely assists. He's not a guy that belongs on a regulation-sized fantasy team. And then Austin Rivers, no. McLemore, no. So get those guys off. You can move on from House. I loved him early in the year, but he's lost his confidence and he's lost his ability to shoot because other guys are going to just take them before him, and that renders him, uh, unfortunately, fairly useless. Atlanta side, we're on Len watch these days. He had 14 and 10 with a block, and he continues to be decent. Would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit more in the peripheral stuff, but in 24 minutes a game, he's actually been a useful fantasy player lately. So if you need kind of a back-end big man, he's settled into that role. With the exception just of the ugly game against Denver where he got blasted by Nikola Jokic, over his last six, he scored in double figures in five of them. You just hope he doesn't get to the free throw line where he is a liability, but he has six blocks in his last four games, and that's what you're looking for. If you can get something like 12 and 9 with a block and a half, that's a useful center. He's never going to be eye-popping. You know, even over the last two weeks, that's only top 150 because he misses a bunch of his free throws. And over the last week, it's 134. But heaven forbid things line up for him for a couple of weeks in a row, He's a guy that is an end-of-bench guy now. He's moved himself up from laughing stock to last spot on your roster streaming big man stats kind of guy. 
And then Herder, Collins, and Young are obviously guys that belong in your lineup. Denver beat Dallas in a fun one, 107-106. I don't care about the Denver side. Jeremy Grant is obviously going to get big minutes and do good stuff when Paul Millsap has to miss a game. Gary Harris has turned back into a pumpkin. He was pumpkin, and then he was stagecoach, and now he's pumpkin again. It's the, it's the Dallas side to me that's the more interesting of these two because we're always just trying to get a feel of who's actually going to play for the Mavs on any given night. Maxi Kleba continues to be a solid stream with no Kristaps Porzingis. I'm not even going to talk about Dwight Powell anymore because he's so far in on who you should be using in your lineup. He doesn't require discussion. He is now healthy, and I have to think that that was at least some of the issue early in the season. He's top 90 over the last month. He's top 60 over the last two weeks because he's just making everything. He's making every shot he's taking right now. Went 6 of 7 in yesterday's game. He doesn't need a ton of usage. He never really did. But now the stuff is just going in every time. And so he's sort of awake. It woke him up. He's also averaging a steal and a half and a block over that stretch. He's been great. Top 60 over the last two weeks. And right around top 75 over the last week. Things fluctuate a bit. You just hope that the free throws hover in that 70-something range. So we don't even talk about him going forward. The guys we need to talk about are the fringy guards on this team, namely DeLon Wright, who's the one that we keep praying is going to turn the corner, Tim Hardaway Jr., who looks like kind of a souped-up version of Eric Gordon these days, and then Seth Curry, who's the most efficient of the bunch, but also the largest defensive liability of the bunch. I don't think you're picking up Seth Curry, not in a standard league at least. I do have him on my 30-deep team, but nobody cares about that. Tim Hardaway Jr. is number 165 on the season. His minutes have been relatively consistent since he moved into the starting lineup, and he's going to hit a lot of three-pointers. For the year, he's averaging 2.6. Over the last month, he's averaging three, and that can probably stick. But when you're taking 15 shots a game, and almost all of them are three-pointers, your field goal percent is going to be lacking. He doesn't get many steals. Remember, he grabbed a bunch right when he first moved into the starting lineup. Well, that's basically disappeared, and he's back down near his career mark now, which is about .9 per 36 or so, and he's not playing 36 minutes anytime soon. So he's out for me as well. Sorry, Timmy. You're off. Hardaway's out. Curry's out. As per usual... The one that makes us stop and think and mull over the options is DeLon Wright. We had a positive from yesterday's game with Wright, and that is he started. He hasn't started a game in over two months. The other positive, he played 31 minutes. That's huge. That's his largest minute count. Is that of the year? I almost I need to double check my numbers on this. Yeah, since October 25th, that's his highest minute count. Now, the stat line that resulted wasn't particularly impressive. He still only took five shots, ultra-low usage Dillon Wright. But he had 6.6 rebounds, two assists, three steals, and a three-pointer. Which, if you ex extrapolate that over an entire season, is actually fantasy relevant. But more than anything, the 31 minutes. And he played 25 minutes in their game against Chicago. There are other names that we're going to talk about on today's card, namely some streaming options in Chicago, some streaming options in New Orleans while Drew Holiday is out. 
We talked about some streaming options with Toronto. But when you look at the overall body of work, I don't know that anything that happened yesterday is more interesting than DeLon Wright playing 31 minutes. Because we know what he can do in 31 minutes. Now, he finished up last year playing 30-something minutes a game in a much higher usage role. He was a feature guard at the end of the year over in Memphis. So, you know, you were seeing lines where he was taking 12, 13, 10, or, you know, 10 to 14 shots a game and was putting up lines like 18 and 13 or 11, 3 and 3 with seven defensive stats or he had two, he had three triple doubles at the end of last season, 26, 10 and 14, 20, 13 and 12, 13, 11 and 11. That's not happening because they have Luka Doncic on the team. But this is a guy that if he sees 30 minutes, even if he's not the man, he's going to get you 6 to 10 points, probably 3 to 6 rebounds, 3 to 6 assists, probably close to 2 steals a game, probably close to about 0.6.7 blocks a game and probably a three-pointer. So you're talking about well over two defensive stats, most likely, in those minutes. And then something like, let's say conservatively, 8, 4, and 4 on good percentages with a three-pointer. Believe it or not, that's a top 80 fantasy line. And if he gets any usage at all in that stretch, any at all, like let's say he gets staggered and runs the offense when Luka Doncic is off the floor. Maybe he becomes that guy instead of, say, uh, Jalen Brunson or, you know, whenever he decides he wants to play J.J. Barea. Let's say he gets that job and suddenly his four assists become five. The upside is through the roof. He could go from top 90 to top 80 to top 70 to top 60 in a heartbeat. Now, we're getting a bit carried away, so I want to dial us back a tiny bit because that's my job here. I am the fantasy analyst that pours cold water on good feelings. He probably won't get 30 minutes a night. This felt a lot like Rick Carlisle just tinkering, flipping bodies around, and they lost on top of everything else. It felt like maybe they threw him in there because they were like, I need you to go guard Jamal Murray. And by the way, from that standpoint, it worked. Jamal Murray had 18 or uh, 14 points on 18 shots. If DeLon Wright was the guy out there doing most of that, I don't know, maybe he was on Gary Harris for part of the time also. Either way, those two guys had terrible games, and if not for Jeremy Grant and Nikola Jokic, the Nuggets very clearly would have lost this one. Mavs missed a bunch of free throws, or they probably would have won the ball game. If that's what's happening here, and Dallas is saying, we're going to start you and play you giant minutes when the opposing team has a high-scoring guard that we need to deal with. There's an avenue for him to go from playing 19 and a half to 20 minutes a game to more like 22 or 23. And even that's enough because right now he's number 88 in 9-cat on a per-game basis, and he really hasn't been good at all. So I think you need to add him pretty much everywhere. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to come up with reasons not to, and the only reason not to is, 
well, what if he doesn't play a ton of minutes in the next one? That hardly seems a good enough reason. The what-ifs on the positive side far outweigh the what-ifs on the negative side. He absolutely positively needs to be added to your fantasy team, and you need to find somebody to part with to get him there. Because he has the kind of mid-round upside that almost nobody on the waiver wire actually has right now. All the other ones are streaming guys. Oh yeah, so-and-so is going to play a minute or two. Chicago, blown out in New Orleans, so that ruined our Derek Favors fun because he was dominating, and then they just didn't really need him to play late because Jackson Hayes was playing well, and they were winning. J.J. Redick is very much in as long as Drew Holiday is out because the opportunity is there. He needs volume to get his three to five three-pointers to go in every night instead of the two to three range. That's the difference between him being a fantasy asset and not. Lonzo Ball cooled off a little bit in this one. Still a decent ball game. Josh Hart got the start and was good. I think if he's starting, you can probably use him as well. And then on the Chicago side, with no Wendell Carter Jr., it was not Daniel Gafford. Everybody's yelling at me on Twitter that it's Gafford time. And I said, I don't know. I think Larry Markinen's going to slide over and play center. And sure enough, that was basically what happened. Thad Young was the guy who picked up the minutes. And makes sense, by the way, if you need to stream the crap out of somebody and get a bunch of steals out of a forward position. You guys know I love Thad Young, and I, I'm i not positive how long we're expecting Wendell Carter Jr. to be out at this point. It's not clear. The He's getting an MRI to, today, so we'll probably know more. And maybe they say, you know, if we get... Please, Lord, let one team give us a freaking timetable. And if it says, I think if it says anything two weeks or longer, then Thad Young is worth a pickup. And someone may have even grabbed him in your league already. He was way over-owned because, well, you know, probably because of me last year. I mean, he's owned in five out of my six main leagues. Four out of my five medium money leagues. He's already on a team. Uh, I don't know that... That is entirely necessary at this point because he's been awful to this stage. The number 222, I, I've told you guys before, he needs 30 minutes a night to be fantasy relevant. We've discussed this for two and a half seasons. If suddenly now he is actually going to play 30 minutes a night in this streaming spot, then yeah. But let's wait on the Wendell Carter Jr. news before you go whipping him on and off of your team. Chris Dunn was very good. Zach Levine was solid. Thomas Sadoransky had a slow one. He fouled out in 25 minutes. He'll be fine. He just, I mean, this is going to happen. He's been really, really good. Someone asked me on Twitter if they should be dropping Sado, and I thought, well, I don't, I can't fully put my finger on why that would even be on the table. He's been inside the top 100 basically since a slow start. You know, first two or three weeks, he wasn't very good, and since then he's been basically like number 90 in 9-cat, and I still think he could be better because he's only shooting 45% over the last couple months. But yeah, he I mean, he definitely belongs in a team. And he's been better than Chris Dunn, who had a really big game. But I like them both. I mean, we've said that before this podcast. I like both of those guys. Knicks were without everybody. No Julius Randle, no Marcus Morris, no scoring. Kind of saw that one coming. None of the two guys who actually put the ball in the bucket, sure enough, they lost by a bunch. I thought there was a chance that maybe Alfred Payton would have a better ball game because everybody else was out. Uh, he did not. 
Now, you could put a little bit of blame on the back-to-back in altitude. We, I mentioned on yesterday's pod that I was thinking about fading the Knicks despite them being 14-point underdogs. I, obviously, I should have done that. And then I was talking about how I kind of liked the Warriors catching 14, and I probably should have done that too. Uh, not much to take away from this one. Knicks were just without their main guys, and I don't like Alfred Payton's fantasy game. So wipe our hands, move along. Milwaukee beat Golden State, took them a little bit, and Giannis still can't make his free throws, but otherwise they're a fairly predictable lot. And for the Warriors, Alec Burks continued to play well. Willie Cauley-Stein double-doubled in 21 minutes. I figured this would be a tough game for him against uh, Brooke Lopez, stretch five on one end and very good defender on the other, but he came away with it okay. Draymond was decent. Glenn Robinson was actually okay. And then our guy Damian Lee had a tougher time shooting the basketball, but he made four three-pointers, got a steal, and also made all three of his free throws again. So I think you sort of continue rolling with the same stuff you were on that Golden State side, and that is largely Burks, Lee, Dre, Willie Cauley-Stein, and then when he comes back, you throw D'Angelo Russell into the mix. Looking forward to the short Thursday card, Detroit seven-point favorites at home to the Cleveland Cavaliers. We don't know who's actually going to be playing for Detroit in this one. I'm going to assume that everybody that's been out is still out, but we'll wait on the updates. Cleveland is in a state of turmoil, although, as I mentioned, I do believe this is going to be the stretch where you get the best games from Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson while they try to get themselves their value rehabilitated to the point where they can get moved. So I actually like the Cavaliers to cover in this game. I think they're going to play hard. The key guys are going to play hard, and that's probably what you need for them to remain competitive on a night-to-night basis is just a little bit of effort, especially against another team that's not very good. And if you're going to follow, by the way, some of the leans that we put out on this podcast, you should probably do so with our buddies over at mybookie.ag. I want you guys to send me some screenshots or shoot me a note let us know. You can send it to support at hoop-ball.com. You can send it to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. You can tweet it at me, at Dan Bespris. But when you sign up with the promo code TODAY, T-O-D-A-Y, that's the actual promo code, and also the time that you should be doing it, use code TODAY, TODAY. You get a 50% deposit match. Put in 500 bucks, you get an extra 250. Put in 100, you get an extra 50. Don't go crazy if you don't want to. Just open up an account and let's win a few bucks together. Let's put 5 to 10 on whatever these games are. We'll slow plot our way through. We'll grind out some victories. We'll make a couple of coins, and you'll be able to go out to one nice dinner at the end of the year. It's fun. Come on, do along with us. We've got our best bets in the layup line. I'm giving you the leans on these podcasts. And our new gambling show officially launches on Monday. I'm so excited about this. Stay tuned to Twitter for more information on that front. I'll be giving a lot more out on that podcast on tomorrow's Friday weekend show of Fantasy NBA Today. But again, go to mybookie.ag. They're the best, man. They, they care about what they're doing over there. Fast payouts. Bet. Win. Get paid. Mybookie.ag promo code TODAY. From a fantasy perspective in that Cleveland-Detroit game, you're watching Sekou, obviously. You're watching to see if Christian Wood gets to play. We're watching to see if anybody that's hurt comes back and plays for Detroit. Cleveland side, you're watching all the guards. Can Darius Garland do anything? Can Colin Sexton do anything? Odds are the answer's going to end up being no, but we shall see. It's definitely a game to pay attention to. Ugly though it may be, this is probably your most important fantasy game on the radar tonight. 
Boston looking for a bounce back in Philadelphia. You'll probably see more of the regulars in this one, and they'll probably look a little bit less drunk. Philly, very good at home. But with Boston getting embarrassed yesterday, this is this one screams bounce back. So either I'm dodging this one or I'm looking at the Celtics. Portland, two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at Minnesota. Wolves were playing really well for a couple of games, and then Memphis came back and kind of knocked them on their heels. And you just have to wonder if that's kind of the wake-up call of, like, we can play as hard as we want, but without Cat, we're not getting over the hump. Portland needs these games against bad teams, but it hasn't really changed the results. I'm not touching this one with a 10-foot pole. And Houston in Oklahoma City after a dogged seven-point win in that high-scoring game in Atlanta. This should be a fun one. little revenge game, perhaps. Russell Westbrook back in OKC for the first time. Chris Paul playing against a Houston organization that he clearly didn't like or get agree or get along or agree with. Houston favored by four. I honestly don't know because Russell Westbrook is such a damn wild card. He could come out and try way too hard and completely ruin Houston's game plan in this game. Or he could come out and be invigorated by playing in front of what I assume will be a crowd that cheers him relentlessly, which they should because he didn't ask out of OKC until after Paul George decided he was ready to kind of detonate the thing. And then he was like, look, I got I to gotta go. Like, we can't go into another rebuild with just me and no other key parts here. And then they had to move him. And I think the fans are going to appreciate that. They love Russ, and he put everything on the line for that organization. So what does that do for him? Is it going to be a good game? Is it going to be too many shots and inefficiently? If I had to guess... And I'm not going to bet on this game. But if I had to guess, I would say I think it actually kind of slows Houston down that they do too much through Russ and not enough through Harden for some stretches of this game. And Oklahoma City has shown that they're quite solid at handling the switch defenses that most teams employ these days, Houston being one of them. So you'll see a lot of Chris Paul in clutch situations, and I think they keep it close. But I'm not betting it. No, not a chance. Which means that as we vomit briefly in our mouths, Cleveland is probably my favorite lean on the card. For fantasy, a couple of notes. Uh, Boston-Philly, not really much in that one. Portland, not much. Minnesota and Houston are kind of your two teams where you're watching a little bit of fantasy stuff. With Houston, it's, you know, can P.J. Tucker kind of keep it going now that he's woken back up again? I do believe that those other guys are all on the outside looking in. And then for Minnesota, Shabazz Napier is, to me, the question mark. Has Jeff Teague shown enough in the health department to where he gets that job back playing his 28 to 30 minutes off the bench? Napier suffering. Is Jarrett Culver going to continue to crush it, which he has been lately? Can he make any free throws, or is he legitimately a keeper stash for next year in the hopes that he can actually start to make his foul shots in the offseason? And that's really it. Uh, that Cleveland-Detroit game is really the big one for fantasy owners. That's the one where things can change on a night-to-night basis. So that's your homework assignment here on this Thursday. Tomorrow's show, we'll wrap up the week. Of course, we'll do our weekend review with pickups, drops, holds, wait, watch lists, all that good stuff. And then we'll also have key information on HoopBall's brand-new sports betting podcast. We'll drop all of that on tomorrow's pod and on Twitter as well. We'll give you all of that tomorrow. At Dan Bespris, if you want to hit me up, please do drop a five-star review on the pod. I love you guys that keep doing it. We're up into them, up over 400 and just blasting into the future. Please keep them coming. This is enormous 
as I've said before, not for today, not for tomorrow, but for those times during the year where people are hunting for their new podcasts. And if we have one that has a lot of positive reviews and nice writing, uh, little testimonials and big subscription numbers, that's how people find us. We come up first when they're searching and you guys can help us get to that point. So thank you for that. If you want to be a blurber, hit me up again at Dan Bespris or Team Hoop Ball at hoop-ball.com by email. Have a wonderful Thursday, everybody. Enjoy Cleveland, Detroit. <laughs> I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.